Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Discover More, where we strive to accelerate the learning process together through intentional dialogues. My name is Ben Wong. And my name is Aiden. This podcast was built on the foundation of approachable guests, synthesized experiences, and relatable lessons that will help you grow throughout your journey. Thank you for tuning in this week. We hope you enjoy and continue to discover more. Hey, good morning, everyone. We hope you had a great weekend. In this week's episode, we continue our conversation with Matthias Wiest, a gifted math teacher and endurance athlete. We discuss his recent move to Rwanda and how the new culture has impacted his relationship with time and efficiency. We also explore Matthias's passion for mathematics, what it's taught him about life, as well as its connection with music. Whether it's math, music, endurance sports, or new cultures, it's clear that Matthias pursues knowledge for the sake of knowledge. This disciplined yet multidisciplinary approach has allowed him to complete rigorous academic and athletic achievements, move halfway across the world for love, and ultimately live a happy and balanced life. We hope you enjoy this episode of Discover More with us and Matthias Wiest. Thank you. Absolutely. And I would like to kind of jump into what you mentioned of that that's definitely changed in the recent months since you've moved to Rwanda. How has that change impacted your relationship with time or relationship with goals and structure and kind of what's that's taught you about the way you were, you know, living up until that point of moving over there? Yeah. I mean, I think relationship with time is a huge part of that. Um, yeah, I mean, so my, my job in Rwanda is, um, I would say it, it is not as demanding time-wise as my job in Philadelphia was. Um, on top of that, um, in general, life in Rwanda is a lot more flexible. Um, people understand if, you, if you're a little bit late. People understand if you have to you know, change the, the date for something. Um, I think in, in a way which is not as accepted um, in the U.S., um, it's, it's been refreshing for me because, again, yeah, right, I've in general been very structured and rigid and to basically be forced to be a little bit more flexible, I, I thought I would be anxious because of it, um, but actually it's, I'm, I'm able to be more flexible because there, there is the time for that. I have the time for that. Um, I, I don't have to be as structured as, as I had to um, in, the, in the past couple of years. Like, again, I, I said earlier, efficiency is born out of necessity. I would say I'm, I'm still an efficient person. So may, maybe, maybe a better way of putting it would be that um, structure and rigidity is, is born out of necessity, right? In, in Rwanda, the, the necessity to get a lot of things done in a short amount of time or to get multiple things done in a short amount of time is, is nowhere near as pressing as it has been here. Um, I'm still extremely driven by my professional goals, um, by my personal and athletic goals, um, and I'm still balancing the two of those things. But right there, yeah, there isn't the pressure to be on constantly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
So we do have inter- international audiences, but last time I checked, we don't have any Rwandan Ru- Rwandan listeners. So uh, I, myself, I'm geographically challenged. So I don't really know anything. Actually, sure. I don't know anything about yeah. Rwanda. I'm sure many of the listeners don't. Uh, my question is just I want to stay on this topic for a little bit longer. Uh, you think that flexibility with time or that relationship or the shift in relationship with time, of course, is nece- like necessitated by the, the condition they're in, which is Rwanda, right? Is that like a cultural thing? You think it's culturally speaking, they're more flexible with time, whereas in here it's such a capitalistic society where everything's like you have, you gotta, you're on this go, go, go mode all the time because grind never stops, you know, 24-7, <laughs> sleep when you're dead. You know, so I wonder if it's like a culture difference or is it because it's just like the uh, particular organization you work in. Mm-hmm. So, but I like to you to touch a little bit more about the cultural piece and what we're on that is like overall. Yeah. I mean, uh, it, it, it's definitely um, cultural and, and while I don't think I can really speak to, um, you know, even work culture broadly in Rwanda, I can definitely speak to work culture here in the United States. Um, it's, yeah, here, here in the U.S., it's, it's exactly as you say, like you're, you're expected to constantly be producing. You're expected to constantly be you know, meeting certain deadlines. There's a certain inflexibility in general to how a lot of work is structured. And I mean, yeah, in, in, in Rwanda, uh, just for context, a small country um, in eastern Africa, it's bordered to the west by the Democratic Republic of the Congo and to the east by Tanzania. So just some points of reference there. Most people probably know it for the genocide, um, which is a tragic yet important part of the, the history. Um, that was in the early 90s um, for, for anyone who doesn't know. So that's been 25 years now, um, 26 years. Um, and since then, really, it's Rwanda has seen a sea change in its economy, in its political stability. Um, currently, it's well, they're they're trying to model themselves as the Singapore of of Africa. Take that for you know for what you will. But it is it's a very clean. Um, generally, it's a very well structured country and um, it's it's not very hectic um, at all uh, that being said I mean yeah people are it, it, it's not the United States when it comes to getting things done efficiently and and, and sometimes that's infuriating <laughs> uh, when, when you're waiting for four hours at immigration um, not not coming into the country. Visit Rwanda. It's a cool place. Um, more like if you're trying to get a visa. Um, but other times it's like, you know, hey, you know, my car's not starting. I'm going to see the mechanic. And, you know, your boss is not like, that's unacceptable. Your boss is like, you know, okay, do what you got to do. We'll cover for you. And then, then the expectation is like, you know, maybe, you know, that happens to your coworker and then you cover for them. And, and there's a certain understanding there. Um, certainly true for my organization. From the people I've talked with, uh, is is definitely more consistent um, in Rwanda than than it is here in the U in the United States. Yeah. Do you find it more relaxing being in an area like that? Um, I know you mentioned specifically going out to dinner or something like yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like I guess is it just a completely different pace, or what is I guess you, the relationship that it's had on you and just your enjoyment levels for that matter. 
Yeah, I mean, I've I've definitely um, gotten accustomed to it, and I I think that is like by necessity. Like, I thought that waiting an hour for food would be stressful and frustrating, but like, there's there's no other option really. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. you, you you better get used to it, um, and and I have, and and I've accepted that, and and now it's it's fine. Yeah, but before I moved to Rwanda, like I I was hesitant that like you know my my personality of you know getting things done efficiently you know if i'm if i'm going out for errands i'm gonna you know tick off three boxes at once like that that isn't going to happen in rwanda because you know sometimes the grocery store doesn't have what you expect it to have Mm -hmm. um and and just learning to live with that and and to be okay with that it's it's been an area of personal growth but it's it's one that i'm uh, i think i'm pretty happy uh, with, how, with how that's developing. yeah, Absolutely. That's great to hear. And even to go a little bit further, one uh, saying that I guess is out there a lot is discipline is freedom. Freedom is discipline. Mm. Right. And I'm sure yeah. being that structured and goal setting, like that probably rings a lot of bells for you, but coupled with the fact that you just, you know, spent this time in Rwanda, has that flexibility impacted that idea? Or what do you kind of think of that saying overall? I'd say that b- before I moved out there, definitely discipline is freedom was how I is, is how I navigated the world. Um, I, I, I think I think that's still that's still true. Um, but yeah, my my new reality is that like you know things are a lot more flexible, and um, to to learn to live with that, uh, to learn to live with that freedom, if you will, um, it's it's a constant area of growth, but. I I'm I'm definitely learning that there are many ways that you can get something done, and, and you know it's it's kind of crazy because you know that's something you know it, it took until university for me to really learn about math. If if we'll you know sort of bring it full circle, um, it's something which I learned through experience in terms of athletics. Um, and now in terms of living, right, in terms of balancing, you know, priorities, balancing your life, there, there are multiple ways to, to do that. Um, and, you know, it is very dependent on where you live and, um, you know, the culture of that place. But right, I, I can still be who I am. I can still have multiple priorities, multiple goals, a generally balanced person I would say I, I, I can be that in the United States and to this point I can still be that in Rwanda so so Matthias very well said and I know you uh, you talked about your finding balance between whatever condition that you put in and of course I think different people serve as different pillars in your life that helped you with that transition piece because you did transition from the United States to Rwanda which is across the world so I do want to ask you about a who or what prompted it, and what made you to literally move across the world, right? And 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 b uh, whatever that is, uh, how was that person or how was that uh, thing supports you throughout and really helps you be grounded in Rwanda in a different culture, a different universe, different world. Bit of a leading question, Benoit. It's almost, almost as if you know uh, <laughs> I, have, I have a girlfriend. Uh, <laughs> no, so. Um, there's one major reason I moved to Rwanda, and, and, and that is the fact that my girlfriend, Nicole, uh, had been living there, working there for a year prior. Um, 
She is not a U.S. citizen, um, so her options after uh, graduation, she also went to Northwestern, um, were a bit limited. Um, ultimately found an incredible position um, working at a nonprofit called One Acre Fund in Rwanda. Um, so she manages a lot of their internal systems, their, their global um, human resources. Um, but I mean, more importantly, she found that life in Kigali, which is the capital of Rwanda, is is very wonderful. Um, I was I was lucky enough to um, visit uh, in November of 2018, um, and I saw that it's a place that I could live in. And you know, beyond that, I, yeah, Nicole's been such a huge part of my life over the past five. Yeah, over five years now, despite the fact that we had never actually shared a an apartment or a house or anything, um, and we had been long distance for two years, uh, so to to finally yeah after Teach for America you know hit that finish line hit that end goal, um, to have the opportunity to move to Rwanda to continue my professional career out there, um, I'm I feel very fortunate that I've been able to do that. When, when you put it bluntly, I moved halfway around the world for love, um, mm. uh, which, is, which is wonderful in, in so many ways. But uh, it, it was also very important to me that um, I continue my you know, professional development as, as well. And um, I knew that I wanted math to be a part of that. Um, I wanted teaching to be a part of that. Um, and ultimately, where where I found work at Bridge to Rwanda, um, they've they've given me the flexibility and the opportunity to to practice that. Um, now, Nicole's been very supportive in in my move, um, very helpful in in setting up our our house. Basically, she she made the transition so much smoother than I could have ever imagined. Um, it didn't feel like I was moving. To Rwanda, it felt like I was moving in, um, and and it was very natural. Um, beyond that, she's put up with a lot of my uh, crazy endeavors, and I uh, do appreciate that. So it's yeah, it's been an adventure, but it's also it's it's been incredibly normal, which is wonderful. Um, and I, I feel that I can continue being myself in Rwanda. I can continue pursuing. Uh, my goals in a completely different context and uh, Nicole's definitely made that possible yeah I've only I guess hung out out with Nicole once when she visited Mm -hmm. and I do have a limited exposure to her but from my experience and my I guess context with you because I've known you for a while now Mm -hmm. uh, with rooming together and going through the shared struggle so to speak through Teach for America experience but when I look at your life, everyone has a certain amount of constants and a lot of things that come and go. But the two things that have been constant in your life have been mathematics and Nicole. So I'm sure those um, those two definitely can be reflected upon through experience. And uh, so far in the show that uh, those have been a very, very solid and concrete pillars in your life. Yeah, so. a huge foundation, definitely. Yeah, well said, Ben. So considering that other pillar uh, being mathematics, one thing that I've been always fascinated with is the relationship with mathematics and music. I know you mentioned that you played piano for 18 years growing up into college, and then you also were very into classical music, kind of as that 
uh, performance downtown in Philadelphia. So what's been your experience with that relationship or navigating them together? Are they complementary with each other? Or how's that been navigating that relationship for you? Yeah, so I mean, it's many people might view, you know, music as uh, very, very soft, and you know, it's it's a wonderful art form. Uh, mathematics is very analytical, very rigid, uh, very inflexible. Um, but it's a good question you bring up because there's so much fluidity and and so much, you know, there, there's such a strong relationship between the two. And it definitely took me a while to figure that out. Now, admittedly, I I did play the piano, which is you know, some might consider one of the most mathematical instruments. You've got both hands working at the same time, right? You've got different rhythms, which you have to overlay with one another. Um, music as a whole, though, is, is, is really all about how those, how those rhythms interact, overlap, and how the performer can make those their own. Um, so I mean, one one particular instance uh, comes to mind. I, I played piano uh, throughout my childhood, and um, one of the pieces I prepared for my senior recital um, is a piece by Debussy, um, in which you have triplets in the right hand uh, overlaid with half uh, with eighth notes in the left hand. So triplets being um, three beats, which if fit inside one count, so you, you split one note, you, you or rather you split one beat into three parts, and uh, the eighth notes being one beat split into two parts. So if you overlay those, right, that's not going to match nicely, right? Two and four matches nicely because, right, uh, four divides into two. Three does not divide into two nicely. So, so I'm sitting here, my right hand's supposed to be counting in threes, my left hand is supposed to be counting in twos, and, and I am at a complete loss. Um, and, and, th- and that's because, right, I, I'm trying to approach it very rigidly. I'm trying to approach it very mathematically. And it took a while, and it, it took a lot of listening um, to, to other recordings, to other pieces where, where this shows up. But it's, it's really not about how three and two fit together. It's, it's, it's about how um, the piece of music progresses as a whole, right? You, you have a run in the right hand. You have like um, a different type of run in the left hand or, or a different way of counting in the left hand. And the start point might be the same. The end point might be the same. But in the middle, something else is happening. Well, guess what? It's, it's all about just getting from that start point to the end point. Um, in in the most fluid way possible, and and when you do that, you're actually you still are following these mathematical principles of overlaying three and two, but you're doing so in such a way that like you are owning that music, you are you're making it sound beautiful, um, and in that pursuit of beauty, you find mathematics, which which. Yeah, that came out much more poetic than I <laughs> than I expected, but um, it, it's definitely something which which I realized um, as, as as I became more and more involved in in piano. Now, um, yeah, I mean, you, you you can dive into so much in terms of music, right? At at the end of the day, music is is sound waves, it's physics, right? Um, and, and it's different frequencies and harmonics and how they, how they interact and you know, why, why does this sound 
you know, pleasing to one individual but not to another. Um, but yeah, at, at, at the base of that, um, math is 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 a huge foundation. Um, it's patterns. Yeah, it's all about patterns. What is that as to why it sounds pleasant to some and displeasant to others? Is it harmonies between certain notes or different frequencies working together? Um, yeah. I guess for people that don't know music super well, what's kind of the base? I mean, I personally play a few instruments, so there's the frequency matching to certain notes, um, and certain notes go together, but I'm definitely not super fluent with math, um, especially at a high level. What's kind of the bridge that might connect the two at a more, I guess, theoretical level. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Right. Within, within your notes, you have, um, you know, each note corresponds to a certain frequency, um, which is just a measure of, you know, how right, frequency is, how, how often, right. It will, it will hit your ear and, uh, the higher the frequency, the higher the corresponding pitch in um, in what you in what your brain processes, and you can have different amplitudes, right? So um, larger waves versus smaller waves, and that corresponds with the volume that you're hearing. Um, so, so I guess on, on I guess that touches more on the the nitty gritty um, side of things. I, I I think it is a really interesting question as to like you know why do some people like certain sounds versus others, and and there are some sort of more universal sounds that sound pleasing to, to people's ears, like, you know, maybe a, a minor third chord, um, you know, elicits a given emotion among most of the population. It's like, why is that? You know, is that evolved? Is that learned? Um, it's, it's a question which I most certainly don't have an answer for. Um, but yeah, that, that connection between um, music uh, and and the underlying physics and and math is it, it really is a remarkable one um, especially in two seemingly so different avenues right because yeah. i think the i guess common perception of music is very go with the flow yeah. um, intuitive like i know personally a lot of my most talented uh, musicians are two of my cousins and they're both completely all ear they can hear something yeah. and then play it right away can't read a lick of music but it's all that internal hearing it upstairs and being able to transfer it right down but then on the flip side there's the mathematical approach with sight reading and how the different mm -hmm. uh, modalities all work together so it's just such a unique uh, like dichotomy between the two of two such seemingly unrelated things that is really fascinating that you're kind of living both of them at the same time. Yeah, and I mean, I, th I think it comes back to the point that like, you know, there are always, you know, many, many ways to do things and people's brains process things differently. And I mean, I, yeah, I, I, I think it's beautiful that like even, you know, people who might not be very good at math might not consider themselves academically inclined um, are able to create absolutely beautiful music using mathematical you know underpinnings using using rhythm um, using harmonies that you know other people would not be would not, would not think about would, would not um, be able to produce um, so yeah it's, it's a wonderful wonderful connecting point mm -hmm. 
and maybe external to music kind of math in call it the world or math in the universe just kind of I'm sure you've seen that firsthand you know external to the textbooks kind of how is your learnings in math um, I guess impacted the way you see the world um, no it's a it's a great question and and I think this is something which has also developed since I've started teaching math but um Algebra is often the first subject which turns a lot of students away from math um, because it's taught, uh, it's, it's like Benoit mentioned, right? How, how the hell do I teach slope, right? Like, why, why am I teaching slope? It, it, it's taught in a series of formulas and, and obscure you know, concepts which have seemingly little relevance to students' lives. Like, students know they need to add, they know they need to multiply, right? Division is important. Um, but, you know, once you start introducing, like, okay, slope, variables, you know, what the hell is this? Um, it's, interest starts going out the window. But since I've started teaching algebra, it, it's really just become e- even more incredible the, the number of places that algebra can be used and 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 the the essence that all all we're doing in algebra is finding ways to model consistency and to model change in the world and 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 that can be uh, with with population growth that can be um, tracing out trajectories that can be uh, keeping you know using statistical models to to draw conclusions um proportionality like proportions we're we're not just talking about triangles here we're talking about um you know sample sizes we're we're talking about um yeah engineering and and really it's it's the, the the more i started teaching that the more you know i i got sort of in, involved in that, that sort of thinking where it's like what we're learning and now now I'm starting to think beyond just math what, what we're learning is we're, we're not learning facts we're learning about ways to perceive the world so so now I'm looking at you know my history courses like I'm not learning history so I can recite dates I'm learning history so that I can think about what has happened and you know take it to the next level okay so what does that mean for what's going to happen in the future I'm looking at uh, biology now, and you know, when when I took biology in ninth grade, it was it was memorization, and I hated it. But now I'm looking at okay, how how do these things actually interact? Why am I learning this? Um, why does that make sense? You know, w- right? Why does osmosis make any sense at all? And and then you actually start thinking about right concentration gradients and like how stuff flows, and think things become much more interconnected when you can think about um, the big picture and how how things actually show up in the real world, how different concepts are connected. When did you start making that transition of thinking? Because that's something that I think I personally have struggled with a lot, like kind of studying for the test, memorizing the facts, and then it literally going in in one year, staying there for even three hours to study for the exam and then out the other. Um, like a lot of like history classes, biology classes, can't really remember. When did that learning style evolve for you? Was it after college or when presented with a new like tidbit of information or what did that process look like? I mean, I'd, I'd say it started during college. Um, 
I'd say it started in, in, in the math classroom with, with this realization that like, you know, math isn't about memorizing stuff. It's about figuring things out. Um, it's about applying, you know, the, the, the different types of problem solving you're, you're encountering. It's about applying that to, to other types of problems, to other things. Also um, developed, uh, it, it, I mean, it definitely developed as I've, as I've been teaching, right? Um, as, you know, I, I've sort of seen the, the background, if you will, um, to uh, all, all of these things which I was, which um, previously I was just taught and told to memorize. So, and, and, and that applies to algebra, that also applies to calculus. Like, I, you know, when, when you take calculus, you, it, it's still, you're just told to memorize. And, and sure, you're, you're starting to solve more complicated problems in creative ways, but there, there's still a lot of memorization there. But, you know, in, in college, you know, I took real analysis, and, and that builds up so many of the proofs that calculus relies upon. Um, so I, I think knowledge is a big part of that. Um, I think being forced to dig deep into why something works as, as I've been as I've been forced to do as a teacher um, that's also been a big part of it and then finally I think um, interest uh, is is a huge part of that like um, I've recently um, well yeah since I've gotten more and more involved in endurance sports and, and training plans and and all sorts of things like that I've, I've gotten very interested in how our bodies work and how our bodies process nutrients and create energy and movement. Um, and, you know, nutrition goes along with that, um, you know, molecular biology and, and having that underlying, uh, interest has made, you know, studying other topics, which, you know, previously I had found to be very tedious and, uh, solely based in memorization, I, I, I'm able to start making connections um, to how this is actually applicable um, in, in the real world as opposed to something just on a, on a test. Now, to be fair, I, um, I still find myself in the boat of like, you know, I, I might remember something for a test and not remember it uh, months later, years later. I mean, the, the amount of just stuff, pure information I processed in, in history classes in, in college. Like it, it's, it's pretty incredible. I, I look back on some of my papers and it's like, wow, I knew a lot about that. Um, but, but the, the takeaways are, are not necessarily, unless you're pursuing a PhD or something, are not necessarily the information you're actually learning, but really like, um, the, you know, how you're using that information, what, what you're doing with it, um, the, the process of finding it, the process of making your own arguments. Um, and, and that is something which I've, I've definitely recognized a lot more. That sounds like having a why behind what you're actually learning, oh, yeah, kind of to come yeah. full circle of, you know, why you are climbing the mountain and why you mm -hmm. are taking all those classes. It's really having that solidified purpose of learning the specific topics and that's ultimately what allows you to learn them at a better level right agreed yeah i mean motivation uh, if you, you you have to find your own motivation yeah yeah so i think in addition to the core of why is that, that you're you're approaching life through this multidisciplinary approach or holistic approach because i think the current this is a very loaded topic i'm not going to stay on this long because this could be another four hours but like the current education system is so severely flawed because when the education system was first like founded because we had specific issues we had to tackle and we needed 
uh, to be specialized in certain fields. That's why we had all the accounting fields, uh, law, medical, because information, the access to information was not ubiquitous back in the days where you had to embark on a specific field to be good at it. And I think the idea of uh, jack of many trades or jack of all trades, I don't think it's synonymous with master of none. Because if you look at a lot of the guests behind the show and a lot of high achievers nowadays, they're more of a journalist versus specialist because you have all these, let's say Silicon Valley, for example, because we have a lot of startup founders and techies on the show where they come from with this very rigid or I guess rigorous scientific background with this engineering, computer science or other similar fields, yet they're experimenting and they're, you know, I guess tipping their toes in with like finance, with HR, with hiring, you know, uh, with the legality, all these, because it, I, I don't think the college sole purpose is to learn how to learn. I think that's a very flawed model to look at the education aspect, but a lot of people nowadays, they are, they have the intellectual hardware and the discipline to accommodate their interests in many different fields. And by having a, a multidisciplinary approach, you can look at things from a holistic aspect. Like when you look at music now and when you look at a lot of nature, the world, you have that mathematical foundation to fuel your interest in those fields. And in turn, you appreciate those because now you know the core why and you have this approach to look at things differently. So I think that's something, the approach that you currently take on in your life, I think that's the approach that many people should take on a little bit more often because when you're only doing certain things just to achieve certain outcome, it's a very boring way of life. <laughs> and one of the main reasons why we, Aiden and myself, embarked on this passion project, this podcast, we named it Discover More because we do have that lifelong uh, growth mindset. We do have that lifelong curiosity. We do have that a jack of many traits tendencies because I, I'm i not very knowledgeable of everything, but I have the curiosities at least to want to be knowledgeable about a lot of things because when you have this multidisciplinary approach in life, life is more interesting. You can talk about all these things, the conversations become more interesting, a lot more profound ideas get produced in the conversations. And I think ideas and the intellectual diversity is only possible with that holistic approach. So I really appreciate you sharing that. And I think it's a very valuable thing to take away for a lot of people. You know what they called some of the uh, uh, original, you know, the, the Renaissance men, if you will, um, were uh, polymaths. Uh, yeah, those who are interested in studying many things. Yeah. Now, I, th I, th I think the, the modern day uh, Renaissance man would be quite different than the uh, than the thinker back in the 15th century who, uh, you know, had servants and, you know, a wife looking after everything else. But um, yeah. Uh, yeah, today, yeah, pursuing uh, knowledge for the sake of knowledge, there's something to be said for that. Um, and and I, I I also don't think that it's yeah jack of all trades means that you're a master of none either right it, you 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 can be a master of one trade you can be a master of two and you you can you can maintain interest in a lot of things and you can apply your your learnings from one field into quite a number of fields um, and I think that's something everyone should keep in mind. <laughs> Awesome. Thanks, Matthias. So one of the questions that we always end our uh, episodes with is really just your biggest pieces of advice. I think there's obviously so much content out there that's these days with, you know, conflicting perspectives and ideas, but especially as an educator who's gone through so much, what are your biggest pieces of advice for their children or young adults uh, looking to make a difference in the world? Yeah, good question. Um, definitely... As an educator, this is 
something that's on my mind quite a bit. Um, you know, what do I want to model uh, for my students? Um, and and ultimately, I, I think the biggest thing I can try to bring out from my students is is confidence. Um, and this is sort of related to a lot of what we've talked about tonight. And, and it's really interesting because I never really thought of myself as a confident person um, growing up. But the confidence which I'm referring to is, is really the confidence that like, if you put in the work, right, that if you put it, if you put in the work consistently, that that will take you wherever you want to go, that will that will take you to whatever your goals are. A lot of times, the only thing that's preventing that is well, it, it is the test anxiety, is the event anxiety, which which Benoit mentioned earlier. Now, if 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 I can teach others to be confident, you know, to carry confidence from their training, from their studies into whatever their their goal is, um, yeah, I'd I'd be very happy indeed. I'd say in addition to that, right, finding finding what motivates you fi- finding a a goal which which you can set for yourself and and beyond just that right finding what you need to do so that 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 doesn't become your entire life right finding things to balance that and if if you can do that if you can set yourself a goal and consistently work toward it right by by staying balanced by by staying focused your consistency and your hard work will take you through to that goal spoken truly by the educator himself so we would like to end this episode by asking so what is next for you you've yeah. accomplished such a major task of everything uh thriving in rwanda all these things you've checked off your list so to speak so what is next are you working on any exciting opportunities but right. yeah, what is the future whether it's near future or distant future look like for you I think I'll uh, stay off the bike for the next couple <laughs> couple weeks at least. Um, so yeah, I, I, I guess most simply um, transitioning my my goals, my athletic goals a bit um, in the new year to focus a bit more on running. Um, just sort of exploring all the different avenues of of athletics that I haven't really had the chance to fully experience um, after after starting rowing. So. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll be running a lot more. Uh, there's a 14-mile race in Rwanda that's coming up. Um, I might I might try to target a marathon um, over the summer. Beyond that, um, I've become really interested in how mathematics um, can be applied to um, biology and and sports science and Right, basically how how our bodies work and produce energy um, and I'm starting to look into areas of further research um, in terms of grad school um, for applied math um, in these research fields um, one area of study which is definitely growing pretty quickly is bioinformatics um, it sort of takes a um, data science view on um, you know biology, medical research, uh, genetics, um, basically how how do we deal with large data sets? 
and yeah, something I'm starting to look into more seriously. Uh, so possibly within the next couple of years, I'm going to grad school uh, to study that. Um, might be in the US, might be in the UK, might be elsewhere, but uh, I think I'm leaving leaving my uh, pathways pretty open there. Yeah, so very excited to see what the future holds and um, how I can you know, maintain my my goals and my training and my general interests in in life as as circumstances change yeah i think with the democratization of data it's Mm -hmm. i think the possibilities are endless right there's just so much data out there and the field and just variations the combining of fields i think it's super fascinating so but yeah we really appreciate you uh professor weiss with all the wisdom (laughs) they share with us and the audiences and I look forward to your debut on the Olympic stage with the oh <laughs> in the future. No, but on a serious note, we really do appreciate you, you know, flying however long flight that is and coming straight on a Friday night and recording this with us for this almost three hour um, long form of an interview. And I really appreciate your time. And this conversation has been very, very profound and extremely fascinating for myself. And I'm sure Aiden as well. But thank you so much for on the show and good luck with everything. It's been a wonderful opportunity. Thank you all. Thank you for listening to another episode of Discover More. We release a new episode every Monday on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And would really appreciate if you have subscribed and shared this with your friends. We hope you enjoyed this episode and join us next week in the journey of discovering more through intentional dialogues.